Dead Source, your home for acoustic guitar cat classes. My name is Nathan, your most well-read host, maybe? Probably not. Almost definitely not. I'm Pat. I have the most nerd cred of your hosts. I'm Andy. I'm the most interested in sports of your hosts. Mm, That is true. Yeah. It is wild for you to make the claim that you're the nerdiest when Andy over here could tell you everything about the Star Wars Extended Universe. Not everything, everything. Well, and Andy has admitted that I have strong nerd cred. I don't know if you, you said... You have a wider-reaching nerd cred. I don't know cred. if you said better nerd cred, but you did say, like, a deep nerd cred. I, yeah, I would say you have wide nerd cred. As, you as definitely opposed have, to deep? You definitely have areas of deep nerd cred. Your magic nerd cred is the Marianas <laughs> Trench of nerd cred. <laughs> Plenty of other stuff like that, but... I am definitely the least nerdy, so... Suck it, nerds! Yeah, for those of you at home, I just put on some sunglasses and slicked back my hair. So, everybody's weak. How's how's it going? Don't call me weak. Everybody's weak. <laughs> no, uh, the the seven days that have passed, how's... <laughs> it feels like it's been a while since we recorded. I don't know yeah. why that is. Well, it's Wednesday, so it's, it is a little bit later into this week than we normally do. Right. That's true. It, it was but... a week and a half. It was like Monday. So it was like nine days. My week has uh, sucked. I hear. I have a pretty decent toothache in one of my wisdom teeth. I have three wisdom teeth because for some reason when they pulled my first wisdom tooth like a decade ago, they didn't say to themselves, hey, let's go ahead and pull all those bad boys. Let's go ahead and leave a ticking time bomb in Nathan's head. Don't don't they say something like if, if you're going to get them pulled, get them pulled before you are 28. And if, if you age past 28, there's something about they, they recommend that you like you sh- you don't recover from it as well or something. You shouldn't do it. But clearly you have a problem, so you just need to get it pulled. It's interesting. So I went into a new dentist, basically the only dentist that could see me, like called a bunch of dentists and like... Hey, who I'm in a lot of pain. Emergency. Who can see see me today? Yeah. So I ended up at a place called a media dent, which is probably not like the guy was great. I didn't have a problem with the nurses or the doctor or anything. Props to a good name. Uh, but what ended up happening when I went in is, uh, yes, they agreed my wisdom teeth definitely needs to be pulled, but it's uh impacted and at a weird angle, so. The dentist was not going to do it himself. They have an oral surgeon that comes in on Saturday, so I still have a few more days. But the other thing they figured out is, so I need to have my number one tooth pulled, which Mm. is uh, my top right wisdom tooth all the way in the back. They found out my 31 tooth, which is the tooth in front of my bottom right wisdom tooth, looks good on the outside if you're brushing your teeth, uh, as I do. (laughs) Or flossing or whatever, you wouldn't notice. But behind the tooth, it is rotted out to the point where the nerve is exposed underneath the tooth. So, uh, in addition to having that pulled, they said I need a root canal. So you get to have a twofer. But here's the thing. This is the fun thing about medical care in the United States. I'm seriously considering having all my wisdom teeth pulled because I just don't want them anymore. <laughs> and having Cast that having that tooth pulled as well and just being done with it. If I get the tooth pulled, I don't need to worry about a root, can- root canal. Right. Root canals can fail. And if they do, then you have like a crown on top. On the bottom, you have the what's left of the tooth with the roots pulled out. Right. And that 
can continue to cause problems. Like that can re-rot or have whatever problems. The other problem that I need to deal with is that, so I have decent insurance. I have very decent dental insurance. It's only going to cost me $20 per tooth I want to have pulled. That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. And I can have good old 31 pulled out of my head and not worry about it anymore. Or I can have the root canal done. Getting it pulled is $20.20. Having the root canal done and the cap done is going to cost me $1,500. Oh, yep. That's pretty standard. What I'm genuinely considering is because it's at the back of my mouth and because I'm going to have the wisdom tooth behind it pulled anyway. Just having it taken out. I'm not going to notice it. It's not going to affect my chewing. If it was literally any other tooth in my head, except one of the back ones, I wouldn't consider it. So I I still don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in on Saturday and make that choice with the dentist. Sorry to hear that. That's uh, tough breaks. Yeah. Is that like Sarah's favorite tooth or something? It is my sexiest tooth. Yeah. Damn. Most people, I think I don't want to talk about our bedroom activities too much. And that's the tooth. <laughs> so I had my wisdom teeth taken out when I was right around 28, actually. I had just met Caitlin like a month or two prior. And they're doing all four. All four at once. I get there and find out that I don't get to get put under. Mm-hmm. That my insurance didn't cover putting me under. So I had like, I think, six shots of Novocaine. And then the dentist just started drilling away. I, uh, it was I have a awful. suggestion. Yes. It is terrible, and you get a smell because it's smell, right there. The little, oh my god, the, the burning smell. is oh, smell. It's so oh, not pretty cool. unique. Smell. Let me let me tell you. Well, first did of all, pretty unique is nothing because unique is binary, so you can't put an adjective on unique. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> you absolutely yeah. can. No, you can't. You cannot. It's like it's like saying it's that light switch is, is very. It it's like saying that light switch is super on. I, can, I live in a free country with freedom of speech. I can do whatever I want. No, you yes, can't. you have Get the right. Out. You definitely have the right to be wrong. Go back where you came from. Anyway, going going back to it, my my pro tip uh, for having your wisdom teeth pulled out is to be in excruciating pain because your nerve is exposed. You don't care what they do. Novocaine, no Novocaine, out. Not out. It doesn't matter. All you want them to do is yank it out as fast oh, yeah. as possible. For sure. I, uh, to be honest, um, that was actually the the least awful part of the entire wisdom tooth process because see, then what happened is I developed an abscess under my jaw here, so I had this big bulge pocket of pus on on my neck, and um, and I was just starting in the new job. I'd been there for like a m- month or two. And there was stuff going on, but I ended up having to go to the hospital for like five days to get put on an IV because this infection had gotten so bad. And then, when released from the hospital, things seemed to be looking up. Guess what comes roaring back? The episodes? The yes! 20s. Oh. Yeah, no, not the 20s. So then I was back in the hospital for another five days. It was... This would have made a hell rough. of an episode of Dr. Pimple Popper. <laughs> oh, oh, you say that, but like the second time, because I went into the ER and the on-call surgeon or whatever, is like, we're going to need to like cut that open and drain it physically, like yeah. like a giant fucking pimple. And it was, oh, it still makes me feel uncomfortable remembering that feeling but didn't it feel of the so pus much coming better? out. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, so much better, dude. Right. Oh, my God. It was Again, so much better. Any any of these procedures, they just need to put you... I had a super high you... fever, too. I was like 109 or something. Like, it was Damn. like... You but could, you could have died. Yes. 
Like, if I had not gone to the ER, if I had slept through the night, I might have died. It and that, that 10 days in the hospital was probably really affordable for you. Well, so I was on Medicaid at the time. Medicaid, Medicare, Medi- Medicaid. You dummy. Yeah. Probably. I'm not old, Medicaid, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I ever see Pablo snoring over here. Um, you want to mic him up? Yeah, we'll mic him up so we can get him on the episode again. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, so yes, it was actually very affordable, although there was a billing error later where they sent me someone else's bill for like $6,000, and I was like, I called them up. I'm like, hey, this isn't right. And uh, so then they double-checked and fixed it up. But yeah, American it was... healthcare. Yeah, you know. It's the best. They, they, they were kind of trying to see if you would just pay it. Probably. So, anyway, that was a traumatizing long experience for me. <laughs> anyway, Pat, do you have any excruciating medical procedures you want to talk about? Ah, <laughs> uh, that I want to talk about, not particularly, but I do have a fake tooth. I have a crown where I had a root canal, and the root canal did uh, eventually go bad, and so they had to go in... It was, the first one was not done properly, so they had to, like, really get in there and uh, get all of the infection out, and it hasn't caused any problems since, so I I think the second doctor that I went to see for it did a really good job. He was a specialist. The first dentist was not a oral surgeon, but... um and oral yeah, so, uh, I mean, my week was pretty okay. <laughs> I guess, yeah, pretty good. So that puts us at about 12 minutes for our opening. So Well, my week was also pretty shitty. And uh, without going into too much detail, I'm still kind of hanging on to be actually offered this engineering job. Meanwhile, Caitlin got laid off. Oh. On Monday. So we're like trying to I'm save for sorry. a wedding and meanwhile not having much employment. So we're well, having Morris a good time. a song where this happened. Well, that's why I didn't really want to do anything Monday once that, that happened. Sucks. And yesterday she and I kind of, we ended up spending the day doing some stuff that took a long time. Which is why I couldn't meet yesterday. Man, I'm really sorry anyway, about that. So yeah, that's a big bummer. But that's what's, that's what's up. So, life, right? Sucks. But also, I saw, um, we went to go see Star Wars on Saturday. Yeah, what'd you think? I, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I am, so I enjoy it. I always enjoy Star Wars. I don't give a crap. I just like Star Wars. So, I have no beef with Jar Jar Binks, even. Like, I just don't care because I, you could put a lightsaber on a pile of dog sh- and I would eat it up. Right, the, so, when when they do the sound effect for the lightsaber, I'm sold. Like that, that's oh, all you need. Put that good. in the movie, and so I was, good. I'm I always tell people it really doesn't matter for me. Like, if you want me to talk up a movie, it needs to be good. If you want my money, just go ahead and give me a long time ago in a galaxy yeah. far, far away, and the scrolling yellow text, and I am in. You right. just have it. I think 100%. there was an expectation for that, and I think that influenced some of the well, decisions that were made because they they knew part of the audience, or, or maybe a big section of the audience, was bought and paid for. Yeah. They, they will see Star Wars no matter what. They were it's sticky just, in terms of clients, like uh, customers. Yeah, it's very just like sticky. Yeah, it's just like Trump's base. Right. Well, so it actually really is. The one thing I will say is one of the most exciting parts about seeing that was that it is the end of the Skywalker saga, which means that that story is now told. Which means the next story that they tell could be whatever they want. 
Oh, I know, but they'll never get a chance with those same actors. Like, there's no do-overs with Carrie Fisher. Uh, okay, that's fine, but I, we're ready for a new I mean, Star Wars or Harrison Ford. So much... Harrison Ford's Listen, not going to come back We either. were just talking about, all right, maybe this is where my nerd, dumb, my nerd cred comes in, right? But okay. the, the wealth of Star Wars stories that are out there to be told, it's crazy. Right, it's there's thousands and thousands of years of Star Wars galaxy history that's already in books, and there's so many other stories that they can stick in in between and make up right. on the, on their own. And all they the could movies do take place over want. like less than a hundred years, like all the movies, yeah, exactly. like from the start of the first movie to the end of the last right. one is like less than a hundred years. Is and only about like what, like sixty years, maybe closer to a hundred. But we had this discussion offline a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. If you're not a big fan of what they've done with this new series of movies, I have to say, like, The Mandalorian is so good. Oh, it's great. It is so good, and it, like, gives me exactly what I've been missing from the Star Wars franchises. And there's things like they're starting to offer Star Wars movies and trilogies to interesting people. Like I was saying, mm-hmm. they just offered, I think it's a movie, it could be a, a trilogy to Taika Waititi. Who oh, did yeah. Thor Ragnarok? That right. guy is so creative and like has done a ton of interesting stuff. And I'd love to see his like twisted, skewed view mm-hmm. of the Star Wars. Universe. I'd love to get get Joss Whedon a Star Wars show. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the <laughs> name of the guy who did uh, Clone Wars and is doing Mandalorian? The the cowboy hat guy. The cowboy hat guy. All right, I guess my point does not stand, but um, <laughs> the guy who made the Clone Wars is really great. Why didn't they give these 70 million or whatever they cost movies to him? I think it's Nathan something. We'll do a fact check and yeah. slip it in. Fact check, fact check, fact check. Okay, and welcome back to Fact Check. The person that Pat is referring to, his name is Dave Filoni. He's been a writer and producer on Star Wars Resistance, The Mandalorian, Star Wars Rebels, and Star Wars The Clone Wars, and he's excellent at what he does. I'd also like to fill in the figure of 70 million or whatever that Pat referred to. The Force Awakens cost 306 million, Rogue One cost 200 million, The Last Jedi cost 200 million. Solo cost $275 million. The Rise of Skywalker cost $275 million as well. And with that, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. Really could have given the like $70 million franchise mainline series movies to that guy instead of to Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. Here's the last thing I'm going to say before I think we should yeah. launch into our actual episode. Uh, we should do an episode on Disney buying up everything. All of the things are owned by Disney now. Right. And whether that's a good or bad thing, whether they're making good or poor choices in how to deal with these things. But I think there's there's something to be said there. Yeah, that sounds like a good episode. We cool. should do an episode on that. Well, today, so today we get to talk about one of my favorite scientific experiments of all time. One of the biggest influences on technology, math, science in the 20th century, and that's the double slit experiment. Um, so it, it illustrates what's been called the central 
mystery of quantum mechanics. To give a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not a scientist or an expert in this field, and to paraphrase Sean Carroll, there's nothing woo-woo going on here. That is to say, there's nothing spooky or supernatural <laughs> or involving ghosts, deities, auras. What we're talking about is the fundamental nature of matter. So I had prepared, before doing a little bit more research on this topic, I had prepared to talk about it in a way that is like your reality is created by the fact of observing it and the universe changes based on you looking at it or not. There's an element of that, but it, there's, there's a distinction to be drawn. In quantum mechanics, one of the things that they talk about is the observer effect. You can change things by looking at them, yes, but the observer doesn't have to be like a conscious entity. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer first. Because the first time well, I heard about so, this, I really had like a spiritual experience about this well, uh, experiment. Let's talk about what that means because that's really, I think, that's, that's huge, right? That's very counterintuitive. What you just said the observer is basically effect. that a rock counts as an observer. A, a candle on the table here counts as an observer. Uh, technically, yes, but um, what it would have to do in the case of quantum mechanics, it would have to make a quantum observation. So we're only really talking about, like, electrons. But an electron could be an observer, and no conscious entity ever looks at it. In fact, um, they know that quantum events are going on on the sun in a star there are quantum effects that are going on without someone to look at them. So when we talk about the observer effect, in order to look at something, you have to shoot a particle at it and knock it out of the way. That is at least a part of the explanation of why things get weird. The other woo-woo explanation would be <laughs> when you look at something, you change it, and that's fundamental to reality. There's no further technology or observation tool that we could ever hope to achieve that would be able to look at something without changing it. So I, I, it's a it's a slight distinction to make. So there's no man behind the curtain like Wizard of Oz. The, the electrons are not shy, quote-unquote. There's no special importance to the consciousness of an observer, probably, but I'll leave that up to you to decide. When you pass matter through a slit, a slit being a tall rectangular hole, you might make a prediction about how it passes through that hole. So let's say I'm shooting bullets at a slit that's in a metal plate with a target behind it. Now if I shoot a single bullet, I might miss or I might hit the plate, but when I don't, when I hit the target, I'm going to hit somewhere on the target behind the slit. If I do this enough times, I'll get roughly the shape of the slit in bullet holes on the target. Right. With me so far? Mm-hmm. Now if I do something different, if I pass a wave through that same slit, so that can be a sound wave, a, a wave of water, any kind of wave, it radiates from the slit. So the shape that you'll get on the back wall or on the target is going to be radiated outward. It's not going to make a hole of bullets in the shape of the slit in the wall behind it. Presumably it'll be like a cone coming out the other side of the slit. Yeah, exactly. So okay. it, it radiates from that slit. Okay. 
if you t add a second slit, the bullets are still going to make two slit-shaped holes are the slits in the target. One in order or next to each other on the same layer? Are yeah, they perpendicular next, to, next to each other next to each other on the same layer. Okay. Are they perpendicular to each other? No, they're parallel, parallel to each other. Okay. Um, so when I'm talking about the bullet going through, that's what you would call like classic physics or uh, Newtonian physics. That's the prediction that you would make about the hole in the target behind if the you're slit. you're viewing light as a particle. A bullet is always going to go straight, unless you're in that awesome Wanted movie where they curve the bullet. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work, by the way. Are you um, sure? Because that movie said... Now, we get interesting <laughs> when we add the second slit to the wave. It didn't change the bullets, but when you add a second slit to the waves, the waves will start to interfere with each other. So you still have the cone on either side of either slit, but where those two cones cross each other, the Venn diagram part of them, they'll yeah. start doing interesting stuff. Exactly. So so there's peaks and troughs to a wave. Mm -hmm. When two peaks line up, it will double the effect of that wave. It'll double the strength of that wave. But when a peak and a trough line up, that will cancel each other out. So... When you pass that wave through the double slit, you get what's called an interference pattern. It's like this striped pattern on the wall, on our target wall. There's an important difference. We've got bullets making the shape of the slit, and we've got waves making this interference pattern. And that's sort of how you tell, as Andy pointed out, if I want to see if light is a particle or a wave at these tiny, tiny... Microscopic, even more so. Yeah, at these at these tiny levels of matter, if you want to see if something is a wave or a particle, this is sort of the litmus test that you do, is you pass it through a double slit. So you can do this experiment with particles as well. You can do it with photons of light. You can do it with electrons. You can do it with hydrogen ions. They've even done this experiment with balls of carbon. Like, even molecules will demonstrate this effect. It's named after Thomas Young who was trying to back up his wave theory of light at the beginning of the 19th century, so a long, long time ago. He wanted to see if light was acting like a particle or a wave, and so he devised this double-slit experiment to test it. However, when you pass a single piece of matter, like your electron or your proton, through the double-slit, you might would have expected the bullet pattern of just the shape of the slit on the target wall. Right. That's not what they found. They found the interference pattern. So, thinking that that's weird, they even slowed it down and shot electrons one at a time through this double slit. Hmm. And they still, over repeated trials, firing them one at a time, formed this interference pattern. Now, what you might ask at that point is, what are they interfering with? If you're shooting a single electron through, how would it create an interference pattern when there's nothing else to interfere with? Mm -hmm. It seems that they are interfering with themselves. They, they still arrive as a discrete packet of energy. With the wave shooting through a single wave, you would still expect a distribution. The electron shot one at a time still arrives all at once. 
as a discrete packet. And this is a theme throughout quantum physics. The, the meaning of quantum is related to like quantified, like countable. Okay. It's the same root word. So it means like a, a discrete packet, like a thing that you could count like one, two, three, four, five. So that's super weird. So thinking that this is really weird, scientists de- devised an extra layer to put on it. We want to see this single electron that's passing through which hole it goes through. So they put a detector that would tell them it passed through the left hole or it passed through the right hole. And when they did that, the interference pattern disappeared. You started seeing the Newtonian bullet pattern in the target. The interference was based on not looking at which hole it passed through. As soon as you looked closely at which hole that it passed through, that interference pattern stops. Damn. So that's the real mind blow. Now, you made a good point the last time that we kind of talked in passing about this, that the detector is not a passive detector. The detector is doing something to the particle that passes through either the right or left hole. Right. And I would say that you are correct. I wasn't sure how to answer you the first time. (laughs) But I would say that that is correct, that um, there's something that's going on, like it knocks it out of the way, or it transforms it from a wave into a particle, or it transforms from this probability where it actually, the particle exists as a probability and then collapses into a single particle as soon as you look at it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, that's still weird. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, it's, that's it doesn't not make it, normal. It doesn't make it less weird. It makes it super fucking weird in a different way. <laughs> right. And like, and so they, they said, uh, all right, we're going to turn the detector off quietly. Don't tell the particles. And they don't turned, tell the particles. They, they turned off the detector and because the interference information particles. That one time, that one the interference time, pattern came back. So weird. Um, so we can see the interference pattern correspondingly switching from interference to bullet from wave to particle based on turning the detector on and off. What this means is that the particle behaves differently when it is observed and when it is not. When the particle behaves as a wave, uh, we call that the wave function. Um, there is this very rigorous mathematics that can predict the probabilities of distribution of where you will find the particle in that wave function. But when you're predicting where it's going to go, they use this wave function and it's extremely accurate. And that's given us a lot of the modern technology that you enjoy. So transistors, all modern computers, lasers, there's all sorts of technology that would not be possible to achieve without these quantum discoveries. The, I remember the first time you told me about this and I was able to understand it, like my mind was blown. So I feel like I should be like artificially being like, oh my God. Oh, wow. What? Oh, gosh. Bonkers. But like I already knew about this, but it's still like super crazy to me. It, it totally blew my mind. And that's why I'm very careful about the woo woo stuff is because I felt like we were peeling at the fabric of reality and somebody was behind the curtain, like, waving their arms to, <laughs> right. to, to say, like, no, don't look here. 
And I would say that researching more into this, that my my stance on it has changed a little bit, but it's no less wonderful. It still absolutely blows my mind. And I would say there's an excellent video with a bunch of visuals out there. Some of the questions I've been asking you is to try and like help people visualize sure. what we're talking this about. Sure, audio. But there's an excellent YouTube video out there that gives you the visuals that you need to really like sort of grok this situation. I think I'll go ahead and link that video in the notes of this episode so people can watch that if they want. Did right. you say grok? Grok, stranger from a strange land, my friend. You need to ra- read some Heinlein. Once again, the best read person in the podcast. Uh, uh, Robert Heinlein, stranger in a strange land. You should read it. I've heard of it. Okay. You should grok it. I will read it. Are there any early questions <laughs> before we that's literally, move on? I should say that's literally like one of three <laughs> like literary references I could make. It just so happened that I got the right one, yeah. so boom. Nice. That, uh, nicely done. I don't know, actually. Like, I, What I'm curious about is, is there a form of observation that they could have used that was maybe more passive? Like, some different way they could have tried to observe the situation that would have changed it, or did they try it? So they've tried that. So they have found that you can use an imprecise method of observation and you can preserve most of the interference pattern. You still you still mess with the interference pattern by making an observation, but if you use something that's not very precise that allows elements of uncertainty, then the interference pattern varies. That's based crazy. on the level of certainty <laughs> of the observation that you take. And that that was like a, a relatively recent finding. Really so, cool. So I remember some of this stuff from I remember high school um, physics, uh, yes, college physics, and and actually uh, chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, for example, I don't remember the equation, but that there was an equation relating inversely relating where the electron, the location of of an electron in an electron cloud versus right. uh, the the time when it's there, right? Right. So you the can Heisenberg know, you can either, Yes. Thank you. That's the one. So yeah, the, this idea that you can either know where it is or when it is. <laughs> and that's a great segue into my next segment. Oh, cool. I want to say, I told you guys you were the biggest nerds on the podcast. and I've yeah, Shut up, right. nerd. <laughs> when, when we observe one characteristic nerds are of the cool particle, here. such as the position or speed, <laughs> we are said to have collapsed the wave function I'm or calling you the jock. reduced the cloud-like body down to a single point by measuring it. In fact, it's theorized that no more than one of the two, position and velocity, can ever be observed at the same time, and this is called the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. Yeah, yeah. It's good shit right there. So though quantum mechanics may seem mysterious and a product of of a universe that is hiding information from us, and many may be confused at the unintuitive nature of particles existing as probability clouds, quote Einstein, God does not play dice with the universe. That that's part of Einstein's objection to what is called the Copenhagen interpretation. So the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics is basically that the math works. Don't ask too many questions about why this happens because of the very strong predictive power of these equations. So pioneered by Newman. It, 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 maybe this is a good spot to take a little bit of a tangent into kind of the scientific method and 
when we sure. say, you know, what, what, what is science trying to do? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions on either side of, of, you know, when science says something definitively, what does that mean? Sure. Right. And so there's a lot of people out there who will say, oh, it's just a theory, right? The theory of evolution. Right? Theory of and gravity. It's not a theory of gravity. No, you're misunderstanding what a theory is. And a scientific theory right. is a much more well-founded thing based on repeated successful tests and the ability to predict future results of future tests. And, and, and once again, the people who say stuff like that are generally conservatives who are trying to make bad faith arguments about You, you can find things. it on both sides of the aisle. Well, and uh, so that's... Sci scientific ignorance, you can. So then there's... Well, that's there's, fine, but I'm not talking about scientific ignorance. I'm talking about willful ignorance, trying to spread yeah. ignorance. Because the yes. people saying that these it's, things are theories... It's anti-intellectualism. Right. They... They so understand. Right, so I, I I disagree that it runs on only one side of the aisle. Right. I will say there's only one side of the aisle that is trying to disprove the theory of evolution. For example, there's one side of the aisle that's trying to discredit science, and the there's the other side that's only selectively listening to science. Yes. So I I will say like most of the flat earthers or anti-vaxxers are not from the right. Then let's, done, that brings up the, the second thing I was going to say anyway was there's the sort of the other side of it where people are taking, you know, they look at what science is. Science is really just repeated experiments. When we say that something is is a, a well-tested or scientifically valid theory, what that really means is someone or, or, or a well-tested idea, principle we'll call it, right? That means that someone has done this experiment, they published their results, and then other groups have repeated that experiment right, um, right. and gotten the same results. On one hand, that means, hey, we can, you know, to some extent, we can, we can trust these results. But there's also the fact that if it doesn't work out, right, there's still that possibility that we're maybe misassigning a causal relationship when, in fact, all we're really observing is a co correlation. correlation, a correlative right. uh, a relationship. So... There are people who say that a failed science experiment is in some ways more telling than a science experiment that does exactly what you think it is. Mm -hmm. it, a science experiment that doesn't do what you think it's going to do is more interesting because it still gives you information. It still lets you know about what you're trying mm -hmm. to do, and it forces you to reframe your hypothesis, reframe that theory mm -hmm. in a way that you can incorporate in the next experiment. Yeah. So so a scientific statement, right, is really just sort of a, a best fit line for the data that we've gathered so far based on experiments and, and things. So I, I really kind of reject the idea of a scientific orthodoxy, even as I read information that's from the scientific orthodoxy. What science to me is, is creating hypotheses and testing them. You can do this in your own backyard. It's not necessarily the information that's been derived from hundreds of years of scientific research, because there's also a long history of scientists being wrong, of, mm -hmm. you know, back to Greek philosophers um, saying that there is, like, phlogiston, that there is a particle of fire or um you know there oh yeah the the four um the four in medieval medicine there was the four biles or no the right four humors four humors thank you right so so there is this history 
of science improving, and I don't want to discard that valuable information that's been gained over time. But to me, that's not what science is. Science, science is the journey and not the destination. Right. And I think okay. that is why careful scientists still use the theory of gravity, the theory of evolution, because you right. are still open to additional information, additional facts coming coming forward that could still influence the way you see things. It doesn't mean that those theories aren't based on sound scientific evidence, and until something else comes along, that they're not solid. But being willing to be persuaded by evidence, there's the other end of the extreme when you talk about the Flat Earthers, and they very much want everything to be proven themselves, I would say that that's almost one half of a good scientific attitude in not accepting things as they're given to you and wanting to go out and test things. The problem is that even when they do test things, they are not persuaded by evidence. And that's, so being persuaded by right. evidence is a very mm. important part of I'm, And sometimes it doesn't method. go the way you think it will or want it to. I'm fine with people being flat earthers for the exact amount of time it takes them to go out and buy a GoPro and a weather balloon and launch that <laughs> shit into the sky <laughs> and see the curvature of the earth. Right. So you can be a flat earther for about an hour and a half. <laughs> and that's that's only if you completely let's do can, an episode on flat earth because i would love to have fun with that that right. would be a good time but what i was going to say is like i think it's fine like i think that questioning science or questioning whatever is is solid but when you refuse to look at the evidence that's in front of your eyes that is that's no longer science that's well there there are source subjects there there are things that you can't question either and such as Mm, like the moon landing, I it's, think it's very it's very sacred to uh, you know our American culture and our history and the space race with Russia. I I think that there's a certain amount that you should be persuaded or not persuaded by evidence and your own experience, but maybe we should question whether the moon landing happened. Yeah. But, you know, if there is an overwhelming preponderance of evidence, I think you should allow yourself to be persuaded. I would argue yeah. that there there is with the moon landing. For example, I again, this is something we've talked about offline. Like, the Mythbusters went in and they took every piece of conspiracy theory about why the moon landing wasn't mm -hmm. real. Right. And they busted in an episode. Like I, you could, I am you not could, a moon landing denier. Right. I want to clarify that for the for the listeners. But no, I am not a moon landing. But denier. I absolutely like. I think that is a fair point because people get super like. There are a bunch of people who fucking hate NASA. Like they think NASA is just lying to them about everything. Right. I don't understand it. I'd like to do some more research into it for that flat yeah. earther episode. Anti-intellectualism. Right. Well, and tied in very closely, and I want to be careful here to not not make you feel defensive in particular, but it's very, it has close ties to um, a lot of modern American Christian groups. We'll right. Say. I don't necessarily associate with people who don't believe in evolution or think the earth is only right. 2000 years old. Right. You know, I mean, I you probably 6, wouldn't we probably wouldn't right. have it's, you. It's 6000. Thank you. 6000. To be honest, you probably 
wouldn't we wouldn't be friends if you were like down with that. <laughs> uh, but is like, that the criteria for friendship with it's, you? It's it's one of those sort of litmus tests. But anyway, uh, so to get back to the Copenhagen interpretation, <laughs> it's pioneered by a team of science including Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg. Bohr, if you had high school chemistry, you'll remember the Bohr model of the atom. And it's like swirling around the Yes, I definitely, like the solar I definitely system. remember that. That is a thing that I definitely remember in my head right now. For sure. <laughs> cool. Good one. It's it's good that it. you remember that. Although it's it is a bit <laughs> inaccurate because the, the 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 you know the atomic symbol, like the symbol of like atomic energy. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. got the electrons swirling around and the nucleus in the middle. That's that's the Bohr model. Okay. That is a bit inaccurate because what we believe the electron to be is this probability cloud that is floating everywhere in all directions around the nucleus. So it's not localized, and in fact the nucleus itself is not as localized as you would believe on that diagram. Am, am I going to throw you off if I ask, what, can you go into what probability cloud means a little bit? Oh yeah. Right, so the fundamental nature this is this gets into a couple of the interpretations that we will talk about the fundamental nature is not necessarily a single particle that's zipping around really fast mm-hmm. and you might catch it here or you might catch it there it exists according to some of the interpretations as a cloud where if you look in a certain spot you might catch it there so sorry go ahead so it's a little bit more three-dimensional rather than like an orbit around Mm -hmm. the nucleus um it's it's a a fully uh there's different shapes even but the most basic is just sort of a a concentric sphere around um but it might be like a figure eight shaped sort of thing hourglass Mm -hmm. shaped i should say because it's 3D. And the way it's usually represented in, say, like a, a textbook or something is as a physical cloud looking thing, sort of soft edges around the nucleus. And the idea is there's certain areas where it's more likely to be. But, and this is what I was talking about earlier, where y- you can calculate its position to a certain degree of accuracy. But as you do so, your ability to calculate when velocity. it will velocity right yeah it's velocity it goes away and it does it doesn't just sort of exist and move around it can pop out here and pop up here and, and vice versa by the way as you calculate its velocity and where it's going you lose the ability to calculate where it is but what i'll say about it is the importance is that it is discrete so we're talking about a cloud that is perfectly smooth it will not exist here outside of this cloud um, i would like to point out that you're in an audio medium here okay. so, so all right so let me try a different let me try a different tech. do you remember valence shells did you do chemistry and do uh valence shells so let me go ahead and say for our listeners no okay let me just explain valence shells really quick so when you excite a, an electron it can move up and down valence shells and this is why uh chemical reactions occur so oxygen is very grabby with other like harvey weinstein grabby harvey weinstein grabby 
with <laughs> other atoms' He's electrons, and that's why in two different cities. That's why oxygen is very reactive. Oxygen is is the reason that like fire burns, for example. Um, it rusts metal, and what it's doing is it's called oxygenation, actually, because it's named after the atom that does it. It steals electrons. But they can only exist within certain valence shells. So imagine you've got in the middle, you've got this nucleus. You have a certain level of energy of electron at a discrete location, a certain distance away from the protons, mm -hmm. from the nucleus. And those electrons can only exist in very discrete areas in an orbit around uh, this nucleus. Okay. For the so, listeners, we'll post some pictures of this on the site. Yeah, so, um, so for example, like, there's the two lowest valence electrons. That valence shell can hold two electrons, but no more and no less. An electron will never occupy the distance, as far as we know, between the two and the eight valence shell. So you've got this two valence shell that's closer to the nucleus. Then there's a bigger one around it that can hold up to eight, but they'll never be somewhere in between. They only exist at what's called, you know, at discrete levels of energy. And this is really weird. So th this is part of the history of Max Planck, who came up with this whole thing. Have you ever heated up a, a light bulb and it shined a different color? Or, uh, you know, heated up your stove until it was red hot or white hot? You've, you've seen that in action, sure, right? Sure. So why is that happening? All the heat is, is excited particles. You've got the <laughs> proton that's bouncing around and that's literally what conveys heat. Ooh, I actually have a story about this that happened to me a couple of days ago. Great. Uh, because I've been sick, mm -hmm. uh, and my tooth, uh, is incredibly sensitive to cold. I've been drinking a lot of tea. So mm. I put a, a pot, like, I put a hot, a pot of water on my tea kettle, put the kettle on the, the stove, and walked away from it. And like an hour later, my wife smelled something weird coming from the kitchen. Turned out that the flapper, on the uh, tea kettle had broken, and so it didn't decide whistle. to whistle, and we go mm. in, and that thing is screaming hot. Yeah. It was unbelievably but hot. But it was emitting light. Yes. So that's very important for the oh. Max Planck point. Yeah, so it was a little scary, but everything is fine. My house is not burned down. Yikes. And now I had a story that I could apply to what you're yeah. saying. So he was wondering why when you heat up matter that it emits different colors of light depending on the heat. And that led to the discovery of discrete levels of energy that they can only be at this level or this level that there's no in between, and that's important for the history of quantum physics. Nice. Um, so... Haha, <laughs> got you guys. Nerd trap! Haha! <laughs> Woo! For those at home, I just uh, came up and uh, brushed a bunch of snow in their faces with my snowboard, because I'm cool. So you would like the Copenhagen <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> so it's it's abandoning any kind of like search for meaning. <clears throat> okay. As to uh, why 
why do the particles have a different ob observer effect and a non-observer effect? Um, Copenhagen says, none of that matters. I'm a physicist. I'm not here to explain that to you. I'm just going to use the math to make predictions. And... I like a Copenhagen theory is like, he's a cool guy. He's a cool well, guy. It's a place. Like... It's a place, but yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Copenhagen? Well, I figured there's... I know there's a place called Copenhagen. No, no, I no. I figured it's... there's also a guy called Copenhagen. So the, the people behind it would be Heisenberg and Bohr. There we go. But I like the idea that, like, yeah, it's not my problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as you might guess, many scientists and lay people alike have found this explanation to be unsatisfactory. <laughs> In that it's not an explanation, it's nothing. What they did is they give you nothing. <laughs> including Einstein. It's uh, an unsplanation. There, there, oh, yeah. There are many interpretations of quantum mechanics that try to explain and give meaning to these uh, rock-solid predictive equations. Uh, I'm only going to cover a few of them. Many worlds, which is maybe even crazier. Hidden variables, uh, de Broglie, Bohm, and quantum Bayesian interpretations. So the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics theorizes that not only do infinite or finite but very large numbers of other universes exist, but they also split off whenever one of these quantum observations is made. Whenever a wave function is collapsed, there's an, a universe where every one of those possibilities is realized. So if you have an upspin and a downspin, and you test which one it is on you know, an upspin electron or a downspin electron, when you go to observe it, both happen, and the universe splits in two, a half where it's up, spin and a half where it's downspin. So now, just like uh, Back to the Future, the Lone Pines Mall versus the Twin Pines Mall. Exactly. That's <laughs> that's a good basis for understanding many worlds. Right now, you would exist in many other universes, but with no knowledge of splitting off in this way and only tiny differences in these universes based on tiny quantum observations. You could live, like, the entire same life and not be affected by these quantum observations that are theoretically resulting in many worlds. If this is true, then if you tie a decision to a quantum observation, as you can do with an app called the Universe Splitter... <laughs> really? uh, you, that sounds like a dangerous app to put in the hands of the <laughs> like, general public. Ah, fuck. That's about the universe. <laughs> you, you can literally make both sides of that decision if many worlds is true. So if you tie a decision to it, say whether you will eat Cheerios or Frosted Flakes for breakfast, and you commit to that decision being decided by the quantum observation, then you in a very real way eat both cereals for breakfast, just across two different universes. Mm. So why Delicious. would anyone think that this is true, given that we can never interact with or talk to the other universes? Why would you posit that they exist? Well, so one of my favorite theoretical physicists of today, and he's contemporary, is uh, Sean Carroll. And that's because what Many Worlds does is take the Schrodinger equation seriously. Back check, back check, back check. Oh yeah, do you want to Whoa. talk about the dead cat in the box for a sec? I... For, for a sec. For a second. Oh, whoa there. 
So yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about Schrodinger for a minute. <laughs> so Schrodinger um, has this thought experiment. It's not a real cat. Nobody is harming animals. Also, this podcast does not support harming animals, but it's this thought experiment. Hey, Pablo, come here for a second. No, leave Pablo alone. You're hopping in this box, Pablo. You you take a cesium atom, which is unstable. It decays, and it's got a half-life. So over a certain period of time, you're you know maybe certain it would decay, maybe not certain it would decay. (laughs) I guess you would say that your your certainty you don't have certainty whether it will, decay right. will either decay or not decay. It will either decay or not decay, but it's discrete <laughs> as we were talking about. It either will or won't happen, but you don't know. Um, so you've got a cesium atom and you've got poisonous gas that will release if the cesium atom decays, but you won't be sure whether it's decayed or not until you open the box and see the cat. The cat will obviously react to the poisonous gas and die if the cesium <laughs> atom has decayed. Why? It's, a way, it's a way of taking something that's weird, the decay of a cesium atom, like, that's unintuitive, to something that is very simple to understand, a an alive or a dead cat, which I is prefer, a discrete binary proposition. I prefer you take the cesium atom and you attach it to a bowl of food and the bowl of food is open to the cat if the cesium atom decays and it's not open. And then you open the, the box and then either the cat is hungry or it's not. So the thrust... And then you give it pets and food if it's not. And you give right. it pets and food I, if it is. I agree. I agree that nobody should be killing cats for the sake of a thought experiment. So, But just to be clear, Pat is in favor of dead cats. Yes, thank you. Okay. So the the thrust of the thought experiment is that until you open the box... The cat is both alive and dead. You have not collapsed that probability wave. It's a way of thinking about this weird stuff that happens with probability waves and discrete variables and making it into something that people can clearly understand. Back check, back check, back check. Quantum mechanics is all about the discrete levels of data and electron spin being either clockwise or counterclockwise. And in measuring it, we never get any in-between measurements. These measurements are binary. They, they are always one or the other. However, the assertion of quantum mechanics is not that the electron is merely clockwise or counterclockwise. The assertion is that the electron is in a superposition of both, clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time. So to split this superposition into clockwise and counterclockwise, many worlds splits the universe in half rather than pick one of them for yourself with the universe splitter app. Uh, so it sends a signal to a laboratory that makes an observation and sends you your answer back. So collapsing a wave function and ostensibly splitting the universe for you at your whim. I think it is paid <laughs> though, so we're not getting it also uh, seems any like advertiser revenue for them. It seems extremely unresponsible <laughs> to just like <laughs> buy it. Look, mom, I'm creating universes. Woo! Yeah, it's just that easy. Yeah, it's just that easy. Shit, um, Thanos just shit himself. Yeah, but that's not the only interpretation <laughs> that there is. So the hidden variables interpretation was actually favored by Einstein. It's uh, to reject 
the probabilistic randomness of the Copenhagen interpretation and to assume that there are just things that we can't observe yet. Maybe we would hope to in the future, but there are these hidden variables that are acting that we just don't understand yet. And the equations just work pretty well because they're probabilistic-based predictions. There are a huge variety of hidden variable theories, including de Broglie-Bohm, that suggest that quantum mechanics as we understand it is a stand-in for real knowledge. In other words, when our observations or technologies or theory improves, we will no longer need a probabilistic quantum interpretation. Um, there's sort of an optimism in hidden variables that does not exist in the Copenhagen interpretation. So there's nothing in particular that's special about the set of rules when we observe or do not observe a particle, but that there are just hidden variables acting that we simply lack the tools or knowledge to understand yet, but may hope to do so in the future. So, I mean, that would be like the reasonable person <laughs> answer would be hidden variables, I would say. Rather than right. many universes or Copenhagen. <laughs> we're, we're just going to say, like, all right, not... we don't understand this yet, but we might understand this later. Right. If your goal was the most fun answer, definitely multiple universes is dope. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not really the way science works. Um, but, I mean, there's credible theoretical physicists that are in favor of many worlds. Uh, Sean Carroll's in favor of many right. worlds. De Broil Is it when you say in favor of it, is it just sort of like, hey, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, crossing well, my fingers and shit? That's the or, bottom or line like, is that nobody knows. Yeah. And it seems okay. like so So in favor sign, of just means like that's his favorite fan fiction. <laughs> sort of, yeah. But I mean it's I guess I would put a little bit more import on it than that, because I mean these are people who are coming up with equations to uh, theorize the Higgs boson particle. So I'm sure this is, I'm sure this is wildly incorrect, but what it reminds me of is like people who study what's inside a black hole. There's not going to be a point where you know. There's never going to be a right. point. And it's what you call a singularity. It's, it's a point where like you don't get any information out of it. And I would say it's similar with this multiple universes theory where there's not going to be a point where you can test whether it happens or not. You can do Although they, they have found radiation that comes out of black holes. So it's not quite nothing. It's just very close to nothing. Well, and I would add what, a black hole. What's the name of your scientist there? The guy that you like? Sean Carroll. Sean Carroll. I, I would, it seems like most comic books agree with him. Uh, DC. The has, many worlds. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. most comic books and science fiction. Crisis and stuff. on Infinite Earth would be a good place for our listeners to go. For some real scientific information. And, um. I believe Earth 2 makes it. I can't remember. There's, there's like a Marvel Universe yeah. Crisis series. Yeah, yeah, there's, in DC, there's the, the Flash. There was there's a, this, like. <laughs> actually, Into the Spider Verse, even. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's That's very right. much a, a many worlds. So, I really like, if you want I more. Like, <laughs> if I could just go on a slight detour for a second. I love yeah, Crisis. we don't do detours. I loved Crisis on Infinite Earths, because basically they created too many comic books. They were releasing too many comics that weren't getting enough readers. And so they created Crisis on Infinite Earths so you could kill a bunch of characters off that were from alternate dimensions. Right, that was the reason for the Thanos snap. Yeah, exactly. It's the same exact thing where they have this big event and then they destroy all their comics and they come back with like, 
instead of having 30 comics, they have like eight really like streamlined ones that have much higher readership. So if you liked Hidden Variables, thinking like Hidden Variables is very reasonable, yeah, I think you'll like De Broil Bohm. So the De Broil Bohm interpretation concerns pilot waves. So yes, these particles are seen to behave as waves, but that's only because they're being pushed around by these pilot waves that guide them along discrete paths. The fundamental nature of the particle is still as a single point with observable position and velocity, not as a wave, not as a probability, not as a cloud. There are just these waves that push them around, and that's a flavor of hidden variable. The hidden variable would be this wave that we don't necessarily understand yet, that in certain contexts is pushing the, the cool range around. variable, if you will. Exactly. Cool ranch variable? Or the nacho cheese variable. The different flavors of variables. Makes sense. So the pilot wave could explain the. Tapioca. <laughs> Crapioca? <laughs> the pilot wave could explain the phenomena that we observe, such as the interference patterns, particle wave duality and complementarity. Uh, without needing the Copenhagen framework to explain why. However, uh, hidden variables as a whole and de Broglie-Bohm interpretations are actually not very popular among modern theoretical physicists, due in large to proof by John von Neumann. He's the guy that made most of the pioneered most of those equations hmm. that hidden variables add extra equations that are not necessary and unparsimonious. Are you familiar with the, the concept of parsimony? Yeah. So in a proof, the shortest number of steps to get from the basis of the proof to the conclusion is considered the most elegant. And that concept mm -hmm. is parsimony. So it's the same reason, like, um, you've heard of Occam's razor? Yeah. So Occam's razor is an appeal to parsimony. There and, are fewer moving razor. parts needed. The least that you can use to explain is the most elegant solution. And right. that's the main critique of hidden variables. And, and I, think, I think one thing we should get better at is like anytime we ask ourselves, hey, do you know this thing? Do you know this thing? <laughs> Play Remember, like, like we, we need to... We I, I, should have answered, I should have answered no, but Occam's razor is the simplest answer is most likely the correct one. Right. Right. It's, uh, if you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras. Right. I already know I'm going to have to go back and add a fact check to when you mentioned Schrodinger earlier. Right. For Schrodinger's? For Schrodinger, because I'm not sure that everybody knows Schrodinger oh. was the guy with the dead cat in the box. So the last one that we'll talk about is quantum Bayesianism. I know that's a big name, but uh, Bayesian reasoning is basically just using probability to guide the decisions that you're going to make. So um, the example that I was given about Bayesian thinking is, so you meet a, an undergrad on campus and you determine that he is shy. Now, should you reason from that determination that he is shy, should you reason that he is a mathematician or a business major? <laughs> now, the intuitive choice is to choose that he is a math major because math majors are more characteristically shy than business majors. 
But Bayesian thinking asks you to not forget your priors. So the prior knowledge that you would know before meeting this undergrad and determining that he's shy is that business majors outnumber math majors by at least 10 to 1. So even if there is a smaller population of business majors by percentage or per capita that are shy versus a larger percentage of math majors per capita who are shy, the bigger population still might determine that a business major is a more likely subset. And that's based on... Mm -hmm sort of that you would calculate the area of the two probabilities. So that's Bayesian. Quantum Bayesianism asserts that the probabilities described by the Copenhagen interpretation are personal in nature. Given your own experience, what are the probabilities that you will encounter an upspin or a downspin electron? And how does this inform your understanding of quantum mechanics? So it's all very personal. It's it's about the person making the observation. Hmm. In other words, a quantum state is not reflective of reality itself, but an experience based on subjective belief predicting varying levels of certainty that a particular outcome will occur. In this way, quantum Bayesianism, or QBism for short, uh, views quantum mechanics as simply a useful tool for estimating probabilities. It's got no more meaning than a weather forecast or a stock market trend line, and it shouldn't be taken for the truth regardless of its power of prediction. Like hidden variables, cubism holds some optimism for a future where Schrodinger's equations are replaced by more powerful and perfect observation and theory that could perhaps provide even more meaningful insight into the fundamental na nature of matter and the universe than the Copenhagen interpretation provides. The importance of the observer in quantum mechanics flies in the face of classical Newtonian physics. And indeed, interpretations Does where... Newtonian physics have a face? Isaac... Newton. I mean, yeah. I, I guess so. Okay. Thing. All right. So, so and his girl flies in the face of Isaac Newton, and indeed interpretations where the necessity of a conscious observer shaping the world by observing should be treated with some skepticism. Quantum mechanics would presumably be acting the same way in far off distant star systems, far from the eyes of a human or otherwise conscious observer. Nonetheless, the physics of the universe seem to behave the same way on Earth as on distant star systems. Quantum interactions seem to govern the behavior of everything, from immense neutron stars to chemical reactions on Earth to even the vacuum of space. More research, and importantly more thinking, is required on the subject because quantum theory is far from complete. While it may be beyond the grasp of human understanding to properly apply meaning to quantum mechanics presently, that doesn't mean that the attempt is ultimately futile. Perhaps with your help, generations to come can hope to have an explanation of quantum mechanics that bridges the gap from mathematical principles to intuitive human understanding. 
there's only one way for us to find out, and that's to try. So I, I have some follow-up questions that are to spark discussion, but that's my paper. I think the thing that we didn't really get into is the idea of... Like, the thing that that keeps on getting to me is the observer, and that observer doesn't necessarily need to have consciousness. The observer doesn't necessarily need to be something... Right, so to, to clarify that point, I can send an electron that bounces off of that particle in the double slit experiment mm -hmm. and never look at it. No human being will ever look at the results, but we see the interference pattern. The interference pattern will make a change. Right. Regardless of a person. So that's really a, a turning point that I had in the understanding of this whole thing. Rather than the universe being shaped by our observations, that something else is going on here. Right. Um, the, the fact that you can make an observation and never look at it, it doesn't require like you looking at it to collapse a probability wave. It just means that the the consciousness is not a critical part of that. Yeah, and that's wild because it means that our understanding of how that observer works isn't necessarily going to be. It, it's not limited to us here on Earth. It right. could it could like you were talking about physics in a far far off space where we never never get to interact with it. Well. This this whole double slit and everything that we've been talking about is kind of right next door to something that I've been really into lately, which is, um, you know, per, per our ability to perceive reality. And there's a lot of the cutting edge science right now, especially in quantum physics, is, is starting to suggest that space time is not really the nature of reality as we kind of tend to think it is, that it is more just what our senses can make sense out of reality and that there's something more, something deeper, that there's essentially our senses have evolved well enough for us to survive and reproduce. They only need to perceive reality far enough so that we can pass our genes down and that there's perhaps much, much more. It's sort of like we're all sort of like linked into a giant VR like a matrix think think matrix right so um, so the example that i but would we're all there, sharing it they they've they've shown evidence that bees can see all yeah. of these different spectrums of light that we will mm -hmm. never see and you ask me what does that look like i can't even tell you and, and what different wavelengths of light that i've never seen like is it a red or red right. we don't mm -hmm. really know or conversely, you know, we know that dogs don't see as well as us. They only really see kind of black and white. You know, but, but what can dogs smell that we can't? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, that and there's our, more universe out there. There's a lot more out there. Right. And our eyes, specifically the shittiness of our eyes, is one of the best arguments for evolution out there. Because yeah. if you were trying to oh, sure. develop a bean with the best possible vision, we have terrible vision and it's linked to, like, having come out of the water at some point. And our eyes need to remain moist all the time. And we get to see a very limited spectrum. Mm -hmm. And they go bad pretty often. And they're really, really weak. For sure. He's pointing to his glasses. Yeah. Glasses. If the... Um, the <laughs> well, I, well, what I was thinking is, like, fast, I was trying yeah. to think of, like, a boxing match. Like, eye versus pencil. <laughs> no one's voting. No one's, no. like, betting on eye. No. In that boxing match. So, no. No. So, like... Um, this, this whole, like, I'm, I'm 
perhaps maybe why my reaction to some of the stuff was a little bit less excited is because I've actually it's very similar to what I've been really into as well anyway. I'm not very excited about I'm the sorry. things that I've not, been into. Not excited, that's, but that surprise. Like, yeah, surprise is, is the word I want. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it, what's really interesting is that uh, a lot of branches of science are starting to, and I, look, I'm not, I don't have any sort of security clearance at these labs or anything. I'm not observing what they're doing, but by all accounts, <laughs> um, a lot of branches of science are starting to tap into this idea that there's a much more interesting but imperceptible, at least right now, um, layer of reality that we we really aren't privy to at all. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing. We're only a couple hundred... Hey! That'd be a great name for a podcast. That would be a great name for Got a podcast. <laughs> We're only, what, a thousand years, two thousand years out from having our food taken care of and yeah. our health taken care of and... Making I don't even sure, know if we're there yet. Well, we're not, but we're in a different position than we were in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are 30-ish years out from the home computer being something that was accessible mm-hmm. to normal people. We are, like, we think of ourselves as advanced, but we're cavemen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we just are. We're, we're in the we're infancy. Just scratching the surface. Yeah, we're in the infancy of intelligence right now. And so, I'm sure, I'm absolutely positive that there's a number of things out there that we don't know about. And that's one of the things I love about science and the temporary nature of it in terms of you can always go ahead and add more information. You always go ahead and have that next theory, have that next hypothesis, do that next experiment and change that because that's the nature of the universe. That's the nature of us being dumb apes in the universe. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't know. Well, so one one of the funniest things to me is that, like, throughout history, the idea that, like, all the good ideas have been had uh, by now. <laughs> like, all the easy ideas have been had, for yeah. sure. Good well, God, I think about, like, I would have loved to have write for TV, like, 30 years ago. Like, <laughs> pratfall, pratfall, fart joke, done! So, so we got the, an episode. So the example I would give would be, like, um, the automotive. People said, that'll never replace horses. Like, don't bet on this crackpot idea because it's not going anywhere. You know, any time that you start thinking that there are no more ideas out there to be had, you're always wrong. Mm -hmm. So to be defeatist and say, like, oh, we've got, like, laptops and cell phones and Internet, there's probably nothing else to come up with. That's wrong. That's the thing that they were saying about radio. You know, it it repeated like many, many times throughout history. Apply that now to to evolution, right? We human beings are not the end product of evolution. We are one little stopgap. The the human race we should we should expect humanity to evolve into something completely different in probably a few thousand years. Like right. we Doctor, came from cavemen, that's ten thousand years. Well it does it does yeah. take cavemen to us. Where where will this species or whatever you want to you know, whatever where will this lineage be in another ten thousand years? It does take like a long, long time. But I I agree. Ten thousand years. 
That's the thing. Like, cavemen from from Homeo erectus, I think, or one of those two. Well, now we we are of, like we are like a mixed breed of like a couple. Oh of those yeah, different this is true. Tribes, true. Yeah, but you know, where do we go? Where are we going to go from here? Man, but, we should do an episode on cavemen. And the we should invite the, the guests. Yeah. Can we get the Geico game? We're, man? No, the we're mostly Homo sapiens, right, which the was homo like species. The, the most successful survivors, the most successful breeders. Just Homo, homo sapiens, sapiens just took Because we got big brains. We evolved big, got complex big brains. brains, and I cannot lie. Mm. Yeah. You other brothers can't deny. Well, I, but I'm, also but I would say that. I'm saying that. I'm saying that as someone who has, like, a barely passable knowledge of this stuff. And so mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting to do an episode where we actually like dig into it a little bit. Yeah. So um, so my my message would be like don't throw away your automobile and keep your horse. Be convinced that big ideas are still out there and you could be the one who has them. We uh, or me. There's there's <laughs> anybody could. There's a chance in the next decade that Cleveland will be getting the first hyperloop between here and Chicago, the Hyperloop, for those who aren't aware, is an Elon Musk invention yeah. um, that has been sort of pushed by a bunch of different companies. But the idea is you have an enclosed tube with a series of magnets and a train car, for lack of a better term, that can go somewhere around 700 miles an hour. Yeah. So for you, us you have to maintain a vacuum. Right. So there's no air resistance. But so for us to drive, like here in Cleveland, for us to drive to Chicago is what, like six hours? Yeah. About that. This would take about, depending on whether they choose to follow the highway or they choose to go under the lake, it would take somewhere mm. in between 28 and 42 minutes to get to, to Chicago. Chicago. That's insane. That's and cool. it would be for about the, like, they're trying to keep the price. They don't know at all yet, but they're trying to keep the price between 20 and $30. Wow. See, so think, but so think about the, can I just, I think the I Midwest is hour? not the place to do that though, because in the Midwest, six hour drive is fine. Whatever. I'll but do that for a day trip. Let me, let me just throw this out. So <laughs> the plan is to go from here to Chicago from, uh, or sorry, from Chicago to here, from here to Pittsburgh. And think about this for a second. You could live in Cleveland and commute to Chicago. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Think about making Chicago wages and living in Cleveland housing. So it's remarkably hard to maintain a vacuum over a long period of time, and especially at the scale that they're proposing. Mm -hmm. So they are trying to keep costs low, but you need a perfectly sealed environment and you have to keep a vacuum on it at all times, mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, you can get a vacuum for like a hundred bucks at Walmart. That is true. Yeah, thirty so bucks on actually it should be probably mm-hmm. even cheaper. Yeah, but no, I. <laughs> <laughs> the question, yes, there is a bunch of stuff to work out. That's why we're not going to have it tomorrow. They feel like they have a good version of it. There are test sites that they've developed with tubes that keep a vacuum. Right, but did you see the the news release? This was a few years ago. Uh, Elon Musk got a grant from L.A. to the Boring Company to start digging these tunnels and setting them up. And his idea was to do the maglev train and do the vacuum seal. And he ran out of money. So what it wound up being was an underground, slow-moving track that, like, carries your car. So it... it Yeah, it's nothing. It's so nothing. It, it, it does 
defeat the traffic problem that L.A. has by going 3D and going underground. Mm -hmm. But he ran out of money for all the cool stuff. Like well, yeah, the, and I think the maglev train and the vacuum sealing, and that's a problem to figure out. You know, yeah, like figuring out how how much is going to cost. But these these things do cost something, absolutely. But think about. I'm really excited about it, the solar panels for your house. Well, the other thing about the we can talk about that. The other thing about the hyperloop. Well, we can definitely talk about it. <laughs> but the other thing about the hyperloop is it's completely run off of solar panels itself, hmm. and should be a like a positive net game in turn in terms of energy and would feed that energy from the hyperloop back into the grid. See, he really cool. sounds like a salesman to me because like all of that sounds great. I don't know that I buy it. Why there's nothing to buy. Like it's the amount no, no. of energy you need to keep it's a, a sales it's a sales pitch. Right. And it is. And there are problems with solar too. For instance, the why sun might Why don't die. we go ahead? I'm going to suggest we take a sidestep and well, do an episode on alternative energy. Sure. Yeah. Love to. I think why don't you write great. that one? I'm great. fine with that. Uh, we will also be doing an episode soon about right. why billionaires suck. Uh, These sure. Two, I think that's the next one that yeah. we're going to get to. So I will, I'll uh, start writing that one up. But I think... I feel like we had a good episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm happy with it. Can I? Can Kobe I? Kobe Bryant. Do you guys want to talk about Kobe Bryant? Yeah, briefly? let's talk about Kobe for a second. I mean, sure. Rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, you know. I mean, I think we we sort of got to this in a little bit, but so Kobe did some shit when he was alive. Yeah. And does that negate the good things that he did? And I I keep on thinking about this. Like, am I allowed to listen to Michael Jackson music anymore? Like, honestly, dude, am I? Like, You're yes, allowed to, you, but I don't. Oh, man. I, I give you permission to listen yeah, to Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I, so I listen to a lot of rap music in the Uber, and I've had a number of gentlemen, I don't ever, not for any reason, say the N-word. Not any time, not even when I'm rapping along to my favorite artists. Sure. And I've had... Several That's different a reasonable position to take. Absolutely, and I think so too. But I've had several African American gentlemen get in the car and be like, "Oh no, man, I give you permission." Like, dude, <laughs> that's fine. You don't have that right to give me permission. And even if you did, I'm not gonna take it. Yeah. Like, it's not. It's not like I'm waiting. Not saying it because I'm waiting for permission. Like, oh, who? No, no, it's, it's fine, guys. <laughs> Bill gave me permission last week, so I'm good. <laughs> I think there's a historical context that hopefully we are putting way in the rearview mirror. There's a there's a historical context where that you that word is used to berate a class of people into submission. Yes. And <laughs> no and kidding. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's not still used that way anymore. But I'm saying that I hope that the era of that use of the word is eclipsing. Well, and and I think furthermore, what those guys are saying to you is less like, oh, this is okay for you to say, and more just that they're letting you know they understand the context, they won't be personally offended. Right. It's and also think... just a word. Like, all, all words are just gyrations of our vocal cords it's so, just it's just a grunt yeah fair enough it's just I'm, a grunt it's a little bit more in. fancy so i play 
I do a lot of online gaming, and I think I've talked about this, maybe not in the episodes where we've actually like put put them up or not. But uh, I do a lot of online gaming, and so I game with a guy from Australia that I've talked about the fires with, and mm-hmm. I game uh, with a guy from Austria, and I game with a guy from England who uses the c word like it's nothing, mm-hmm. and right, oh, but yeah. it's totally tame exactly to them in that context culturally. Like, and I don't get uh, get on him for that. I will never, like, never ever will I use that word. Oh, I use it. I'm a fan of it. Oh man. <laughs> That's I, rough. I I wish it was casually accepted because it is not casually accepted in America. <laughs> I do no. like um the episode of Arrested Development where they buy the, this boat that's named the the C word S E A W A R D. See you next Tuesday. He's like, you need to get rid of the C word, and their mother turns around and looks at him and goes, "I'll leave when I'm good and ready." And <laughs> <laughs> That's Arrested, a good joke. Arrested yeah. Development was ahead of its time. Oh my god. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I'm just saying like there there are ways culturally there are a bunch of different stuff. Me as a white guy who lives in America, at any point I'm never going to say that word. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. good. And no, me, that's understandable. And me having like a sister and a mom and a wife and women friends that I respect, I'm never going to say the c word either. But I think it's I think it's okay to have a nuanced take on a celebrity death when there are some question marks. Like we we have this tendency to just assume like anyone that passed away, we only highlight their best qualities and that's what we want to remember them by. But you can have a nuanced take like if if there are question marks you know, I don't yeah. think that that needs to be I buried mean, under. Say, I think say what you will, but Hitler was a good painter. Mm. Ooh. Not the take, not the no, take I would have gone no, with. No, not. But that's a new hot take, hot take from subtle Andy. nuanced approach, but right? <laughs> maybe, maybe my hot take is I'll still listen to uh, uh, was Billy Jean? Are you still Michael doing, Jackson? Are you still doing Coney twenty twenty? Coney twenty twelve. What what? Coney. What's that? Anybody? That so I remember that vaguely, but. He was a he was a bad guy who he was like uh, this used child soldier child soldier dictator. Oh, yeah. but what it nice. was it was like a but he was like fund. an internet meme. There was like a fund to like was it stop him or fund him? I don't no, remember it what it was. Stop. No, it was definitely to stop him for sure. It was to stop him. Um, but, so anyway, I didn't. But really there are So here's the thing: I still listen to some Sinatra. I know Sinatra for sure beat his wife. Mm. I know Sinatra was not a good dude. He was a racist. I know that they made fun of... Sammy Davis Jr.? Sammy Davis Jr. They made fun of him all the time when he wasn't around. Oh, yeah? And they brought him on. Like, there's some really rough stories about him. But if you ask Sinatra, is Sammy Davis Jr. your friend? Sinatra, for sure, would have said yes. Absolutely. He's my friend, even though he didn't treat him equally. Hmm. And is that okay? Like... I like I like Andrew Jackson. Well, it, it I thought he said some some cool stuff, but the also president? yeah, but also yeah. Uh, he owned a bunch of slaves. Ooh, and, he was uh, mega racist, super racist, and like especially like, anti-Indian. I think you like can have Native a nuanced take. I think that that cannot be okay. You can you can still listen to that music and those songs and have a context for it. And now you don't always have to be so nuanced. I, for example, am not. I mean. It's kind of a two-parter, 
But I'm not interested in ever listening to Michael Jackson music, the guy from Rotten Hell. Um, first of all, he raped children, right, and, and sexually assaulted children. Um, but second of all, I don't like his music anyway. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't <laughs> listen I to R. Kelly. It's like not right. Okay. But I didn't used to listen to R. Kelly. Yeah. I used to listen to R. Kelly, and it bums me out that I can't listen to him anymore. Wait, why can't you? And I won't because of the peeing thing. Uh, yeah, on, there's a, a lot a little girl. There's a um, lot more stuff that's come out since just the I, he, yeah. He just also, came up in the news like a few months ago, and I don't he's, remember he's what a, it was. He's a rape, rapist. He oh, rapes, yeah. Rape, well, okay, so guy. that brings it back around to Kobe. But, but here's the thing: when Kevin Spacey dies, yeah. we aren't going to be like, "What a great actor." I mean, did you see that all the people that he that have been accusing him have been like falling off of the planet? I bet dying. Yeah. By falling off the planet, I mean dying. Yeah. Meaning, like, getting... Clinton? Like, dying. Like, are they getting suicided like, by the Clintons? Or one like, what's one going suicided, on one had, like, terminal cancer. Mm. Like, there is there is a list, and he released this really creepy video. I, of, of him? Of, like, Christmas wishes. Well, and where he, he says he at the video, end... He released a video of him from, like, uh, in character, House of Cards. In character with his House of, of Cards Frank, character. I forget. Frank yeah. Underwood. Yeah, Frank Underwood. And he even does the, like... Knock knock at the end of this video. You should look it up on YouTube. Oh, it's although great. you should not look it up on YouTube. You should ignore this man forever. Oh, I mean, but that's the thing. But, but he was an amazing actor. Yeah, he's a like he is an amazing actor, but he's also yeah. a monster. And but, like I don't know where well, we well, draw that line. So and I think it. Listen, short answer is everyone's got to draw their own line. But I think the the broader, bigger answer for me anyway is we we really should be very very careful about um first you know conflating an artist with their art um artists are many of many people who are very deeply flawed and troubled are some of produce some of the most meaningful artistic work yeah right? i got some bad and news so, for you about the harry potter series <laughs> yeah jk you know about I JK? I don't know about JK. Oh, she's Ryan. super transphobic now. That that wasn't my take. My take was that they were all produced by Harvey Weinstein. Oh. Oh, the movies. Yeah. Okay. Well, that too. But yeah, she's super trans transphobic now. I will have to look that up yeah. because she really? like she it's went like out of her way. I she went out of her way that. to be like weirdly gay positive. By yeah, but making Dumbledore. I, it's it's because she made some some statements about trans people and then like kind of doubled down on it. So so yeah. I th I think anyway. probably the best thing for me to ever do is to make no statement about trans people ever as long as I live. <laughs> No statement whatsoever. As far as I'm speaking concerned, which, like, generally, that's which, probably we should good do an practice. episode on that. <laughs> well, I'm going to be pretty not talking. You should just be... <laughs> no, I think... No, I have I have some trans friends. It might be nice to, to talk to somebody about... I think it would be that would be a great time to have a guest in. And have some transphobic people come on at the same time. Perfect. And give one of Jerry, them weapons. Jerry, so anyway... But yeah, so as far as Kobe's concerned, you know, he, he now he's Kobe is not an artist, but he has done a lot of good things. He was really um he played basketball, did you know? He's an athlete. Oh, he's a he's a basketballist. Yeah. Like what is he's, uh, he's in entertainment. He he I believe he did, has given a lot of money to good causes, but other than that like I don't know what we're really talking about. It was contributions to what? To basketball? I don't give a f 
basketball is he's like one the of most the most boring he, sport. Anyway. He's in the conversation <laughs> of all time greats. He's he's but, like one of the all time greats. But I like, can, but that's not something where like it's not like he wrote a novel that changed a generation for peace or something, right? He played fucking basketball and raped women. So where why does why does his basketball accomplishments obscure his rapism accomplishments? Rapism. Well, but I think my problem is I don't know enough about Kobe. What I do know is that I have vaguely positive memories of him because I loved basketball as a kid. Because that was when, when I was growing up, was when Jordan was on the Bulls. And (laughs) you had all these amazing players. I mean, Shaq was playing then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't have a Charles take on Barkley him being and... a race, uh, a rapist or not because I don't know that he was a rapist. I'll have to look at the facts and yeah, I think a lot of those things were thrown out of court. Well, and I, so I'm not, I'm not saying he's not. And that's the thing. I, I don't have, don't a, I don't have a take on that. But we are living in the era, and I think wildly positively, I am 110 percent on board of believing women, and so. Right. So that's probably a good take. Yeah. So what I don't want to say anything about that. What I that's why I didn't want to have a talk about like Kobe or yay Kobe. We could. We I want to have a talk about like how do we parse these guys? We, we could talk about the women. Me Too movement as a whole because you need to have that episode. I yeah. Mean, I think that there's but a I lot of material for that there. episode. I would like to have three female guests. And all of us leave for that episode, and we'll sit like quietly in a, in a corner while they have the conversation. Fair enough. Uh, that doesn't. That sounds boring. <laughs> also, but uh, but no, I'm just saying like no. I but I know what you're trying to say. Like you're joking, but yeah. I, well, well, did we, anybody we, have anything special happen this week? We, we have the precious moments. No, no, we, we got to do that better. All right. Uh, now it's time for Precious moments. <laughs> precious moments. You're trying to do precious moments like fact check. Precious moments! <laughs> it's All like right. uh, the um, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Alright everyone, now it's time for our segment. Precious moments. Uh, it gets worse every time. Every I time. Hate it so much. Uh, I'm trying to think. Did That's I... also a Hallmark trademark. I'm did... pretty sure Precious because they have those little porcelain don't figurines. Bring, don't bring it up. Oh, they're sure. gonna they're gonna sue us. Trademark uh, avoided. Anyway. Avoided. Avoided. I mean, they don't have a radio. Anyway, I don't really know anything that's made me laugh super hard this week. Oh, I do. Oh, the impeachment trial. <laughs> because the Republicans are really, really... Um, so I don't know if anybody's been following the impeachment trial, but the House, what are they called, managers, Yeah. Um, had three days to make their case. And then the president's defense had three days to make their case to the Senate, who had to sit silently and listen, which right there is funny enough. But then <laughs> the president's, all the president's men just wrapped up uh yesterday and their arguments were just all over the place countering themselves saying things like he didn't do it but even if he did this is this is the beautiful thing about it's the too early to bring charges but it's also too late to bring charges right. well, no this was a beautiful and just insanely dumb thing of the president choosing tv lawyers choosing lawyers that had 
been ingrained in the last impeachment uh-huh. saying the exact opposite thing yeah. of what they're saying now. And and the crazy thing is the, some multiple of these people, Ken Starr and um I can't remember his name now. Um one of the one of the other lawyers. People have said uh, do most Constitutional scholars agree with my opinion? No. Okay. <laughs> Do I like... have a dumb opinion? <laughs> yes. yes. I know that you don't really... <laughs> Most of you won't agree with this, but what? We, um, oh, my God. We may need to... Like... It's just so special, and this is also fun. We were talking about this before we started, but now the Senate gets to ask questions, and... They don't get to actually ask the questions because they can't. <laughs> well, it's, it's, they have to write it down. Yes. Pass it to Chief Ju- General uh, Chief Justice uh, yeah. Ro- Roberts. Yeah. And Roberts reads the question to the appropriate counsel, and they get to respond, and that's it. And, and well, I think this process is interesting because, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it's better than the House process because mm-hmm. you can't filibuster your witness. Right. You can't like make them ask a loaded yes or no question and then like cut them off before they have a chance to give any context. But the other thing you can't do is you can't ask follow-up questions, which is what a trial is all about. You can ask one question. And if that person doesn't give you a genuine answer to that question, you're done. You can't, you can't call them on it. You can't ask them. So Dave, Dave Filoni was the guy who, uh, directed the Clone Wars, the 2008 CGI <laughs> TV series. Uh, okay. And wears that cowboy hat all over the place. And okay. he's also in charge of The Mandalorian. I think Dave Filoni should have been given the mainline Star Wars installments episode, you know, was it? Seven, seven eight, nine. Yeah. That he should have been put in charge of all of that stuff instead of like just the Mandalorian. And so I now. think Filoni should so. have replaced uh, Justice Roberts in the yeah. impeachment trial. Yeah. Filonius, Let's bring him on. Monk. Um, so, so at any rate, um, to add to all of that pandemonium and not pandemonium, it's actually quite controlled, but it's, it's just entertaining. John freaking Bolton is over here <laughs> writing a book about what he's gone through and making oh, like man. super passive aggressive statements <laughs> like, I know everything that went on. You should have me testify. Well, the fun thing that I, <laughs> that I read as of late last night, early this morning is Mitch McConnell has verified that he no longer has the votes to not have witnesses come. Yeah, so I last so, I heard three Republicans um had Mitt Romney, um I forget who the other two were. The, there's a Maine a, a Republican from Maine and a Republican from Alaska, so I think. The thing, hey, Mitt Romney, I mean, listen to evidence like good yeah. on you. You he's know, a, tip of the hat. He's still a very bad guy, but tip I tip of the hat to he seems like he's not in Trump's pocket witnesses. because you can see, like, they had that dinner together during the campaign where Mitt Romney was, like, begging for a job and, like, Trump told him off during the meal. And there's pictures of Romney, like, like a deer in headlines. And so he's, like, one of the few people who has decided not to eat shit yeah. from Trump. Um, or eat less shit, I guess, from Trump. Wait, just put some witnesses out there. Get Let's get a couple witnesses and make this actually legit. The last, anyway. the last thing I'm going to say about it is... Innocent people want evidence. If you're innocent, you want witnesses and you want evidence. If you're not innocent, that's, that's when you try and stop things from happening. I really and kind we of should talk about this more next week. I think. I agree, but my hope here, just last thought, in my my little dream world, 
I want the uh, the Democrats to only submit one question over and over and over and over again to the to the president's defenders. Basically, just the question of innocent people want evidence, guilty people want to cover up, and no evidence. Why don't you want evidence? And just submit that same question over and over. Make them constantly answer and just troll the shit out of them. That's what I want. To they'll happen. they'll never they won't give a do real that. answer. No, no, they won't do. I do have a thing that makes me happy from this last week. Oh, yeah. As a man with toothache, ibuprofen 800 milligrams Ooh, is wonderful. I love it for two reasons. One, I get to take it every six hours, and it makes me not want to die. Yeah. And secondly, it costs me $2.32. Nice. Penicillin for like an entire week worth of penicillin, 71 cents. Yeah, so, pretty nice. great. More generic drugs, I think, would be good. Yeah. Healthcare episode to come. <laughs> Healthcare. All right. Well, um, I think this is a pretty good episode, guys. We went kind of long. Yeah. Call it a wrap. Cool. So, All right. Well, until next time, I really need to come up with a catchphrase. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye. Check. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Sounds like I'm saying, I'm saying fat fact check. check. <laughs> uh, can, can we have a fact check here? Mm-hmm. Fact check on aisle 12. <laughs> fact check. Are, are you sure about that? Question. It's time for a fact check. Fact, fact check. Check. What's your source? <laughs> 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 <laughs>